Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, sleepyheads. This is episode 48 of Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and my sea legs are a trifle shaky. And I'm Barb, and well, I did not see that coming. Today we will be discussing the 11th Sleepy Hollow episode of season 4 entitled The Way of the Gun, which was written by Brian Q. Miller and directed by Russell Lee Fine. And I gotta tell you, oh my goodness gracious, wow. <laughs> I had to do housekeeping today because, you know, on Friday night, I dropped my jaw somewhere on the floor and I haven't been able to find it yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Woo. We have a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. So let's jump into that recap, Barb. Okay. Diana Thomas and Ichabod Crane watch Molly perform in her school play, which depicts George Washington at Valley Forge. After the play, Team Witness assembles at the vault where Alex Norwood has hacked into Malcolm Dreyfus's computer to spy on him and his henchman, Job. They believe that Dreyfus plans to summon the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse to change the world, not to end it. They learn that the symbol Dreyfus is using was originated by a sect that split from the Masonic Order known as the Arma Mutata, which sought to raise the Four Horsemen by bonding them to human hosts using supernatural artifacts. They learn that the totem used to summon the Horsemen of War is named Tericula Ignis, Weapon of Fire and that it was hidden in America during the Revolutionary War. Suddenly an alarm sounds, and Jenny Mill chases a mysterious woman who has stolen one of their books and is in the tunnels. Jenny surprisingly loses the fight, and the woman escapes. Jake Wells identifies the book and its contents, and Crane realizes that the totem may be hidden at the old site of Benjamin Banneker's home, which burned to the ground. Diana and Crane go to the site, but the young woman is there, and she already has the box. Job arrives, and she uses a crystal to dispatch him, knocking her unconscious. Crane and Diana take her to a DHS safe house and interrogate her, learning that one shot from the gun will raise the horsemen of war. She says her name is Laura and that she knows Dreyfus. She tricks them and escapes with the weapon. Meanwhile, Jenny Mills tells her old friend, Donnie Lou, that she will take the artifact job, but she is clearly torn. Jenny, Jake, and Alex discover where Dreyfus lives and stake out his home, but Jake and Alex are captured by Job. Job plays mind games with Jake to force him to reveal what Team Witness knows about the totem. Jenny rescues the pair from the henchman who is guarding them just before Alex reveals her true feelings to Jake. They realize that Dreyfus intends to kill the president. Diana placed a tracking device on Laura, and they find her preparing to destroy the gun. Job and Dreyfus suddenly appear and confiscate the totem. Laura reveals she is actually from the future, and a future crane helped her time travel back. She is Molly. Diana shoots Dreyfus, but then they see that he is immortal and realize the Philosopher's Stone ceremony worked. Dreyfus reveals that Diana is meant to become his horseman of war. Molly pleads for her mother's life. Dreyfus shoots. Crane jumps in front of Diana and takes the bullet. He drops to the ground. 
His eyes glow like fire. I am become war. Boom. Never in a hundred years would I have expected to see that. <laughs> no, I would. There is no way I would have predicted. Never, no. never, ever. And I think the majority of us felt the same way in the social universe this for yes. the past two days. <laughs> All right, Steve. So let's do the news and then we can jump right into it. All right. Well, unfortunately, Nielsen reportedly suffered a power outage at a data center over last weekend during a major system upgrade, and they haven't caught up with all the Live Plus 7 ratings, so we don't have that for Episode 10 yet. Oops. Yes, big oops. Uh, Episode 11, fortunately, we did get Friday's ratings. Uh, The preliminary ratings were a 0.4 and a 1 share and 18 to 49 with 1.8. 8 million viewers. Yeah, and you watched that rise on the Live Plus 3 and Live Plus 7 as everybody went back and watched that episode again and again and again. <laughs> and again right. What? What did I miss? How did that happen? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's going to go way up. Yeah. 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 Woo. Yeah. Okay, Steve. Ratings. What did you get? The, give this one? I gave it 10 abilities to manipulate time. I gave it 9.5 Grim Fairy Tales That Don't End Well. Justina gave it 10 out of 10. OMG, I just witnessed the witness becoming the horseman. Nice. That is so good, Justina. (laughs) Annette gave it 9 crystals. Julie gave it 8 magic crystals. And Linda gave it 8 time travelers. So, yeah. Wow. Well, let's just talk about it, Steve. Let's... Jump right in and let's talk about Team Witness. And here we go with the man of the hour. Right. We start with Crane displaying his great appreciation for Molly's play, but of course is not enthralled by the Manette-like march. He's too stiff. It's not a rowdy spree. (laughs) Yeah, well, I wonder how he would have felt if she, instead of Valley Forge, she and her classmates had been in, um, what does he call it? Shamilton? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He'd have been hearing uh, heckling like he did on the ball field. <laughs> oh, but he was up. He was so enthusiastic. And Yeah, apparently um, going to a play has evolved quite a bit since uh, Crane's day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Once they get together, they do determine that Dreyfus is not trying to end the world, but forge it into something new, which, of course, we all knew that because he wants to be the one running the world, not not destroying it. So but it was interesting that they ended up hacking into the his computer and seeing the the nice symbol that of the Arma Matata. And that's how they figured that that was what my Dreyfus's plan was, was not to end it but to forge it into something new. Mm-hmm. And I, as soon as they brought that up, it automatically threw me back into season one when Crane first ran into the Masons. Yes. And it didn't seem like all of them were on the same page, so apparently some of them were Arma Matatas. Well, so Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's it's would be it's nice to see that sort of come around back in a, a nice little circle again. Right. Now of course the most interesting thing we learn from this is that the plan is to raise horsemen by bonding them to human hosts. Now, we had kind of gotten the idea from Dreyfus having both the... Helen and... Um, 
the teen rock star. Right. But, and of course, we do find out that a supernatural artifact is needed, which we also kind of assume that as well. Now, when they do read up on it, or at least when Jake recalls the information in the missing book, that it keys Crane's memory to uh, remember that maybe this artifact that was um, for war that was hidden during the Revolutionary War might have been the one that him and Benjamin Banneker were on a mission to uh, hide. And I know we're going to talk about Diana later, but you got to admit, that was one of the funniest lines. Was there any part of the Revolutionary War that you weren't involved in? I mean, really? (laughs) Which I'm sure that a lot of the audience is thinking at this point in time, too. Right. (laughs) He was a one-man show, baby. And boy, do we love him for that. And of course, right after that, we get another one of the best scenes of the season because they go, well, let's, Crane thinks it's at his place. They knew it burned down, but he still thinks he might be able to find it. And they drive up and it's standing. (laughs) And they both give this double take that is just pure gold. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't know what to think. No, I swear I saw it burn down. Uh huh. Oh, and of course, they have to deal with the one of the co-owners of this uh, communal uh, table. Table, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we get some other great lines out of that. It was absolutely fantastic. So they end up sneaking around back and going in anyway because he didn't want to wait six weeks for a reservation. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they took a chance of uh, if they got caught, the Obamas would have been notified. <laughs> but he's positive he can uh, find the totem, but he's too late as they turn the corner. Laura's already got it, and um, she warns them to go immediately. Well, that ain't happening. And Job shows up, and things could get real crazy real quick. He knocks Crane and Diana out of the way, and fortunately, he gets pushed out of time. But, you know, it's interesting he didn't kill him. And it, when you look at the end of the episode, then you understand why, understand he, why. why yes. he didn't kill them. Because Job has never had any problem killing anyone else who's gotten in his way before. But he killed none of the three people in the room. Right. Which kind of was like, huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, at the end, we understood why. Exactly. Now, of course, they take her to a DHS safe house and start to question her about what she knows. You know, they see the tattoo on her arm, so they think that she is probably working for Dreyfus, which is totally understandable. But she does kind of explain to them, she provides enough information that they kind of semi-trust her, so she tells them she knows where to take it to destroy it. They go there, it's an old abandoned factory of some sort, and sure enough, nope. That's not where it's being destroyed. She locks him inside and takes off. She was a pretty tough little cookie and pretty smart, too. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was very impressed with uh, Laura, (laughs) to say the least. Now, fortunately, Crane does find Laura's enchanted crystals because apparently this was where she was uh, living when she uh, locked them up. And Diana pulled a fast one on her by 
placing a tracking device on her while they were in the DHS house. So, of course, they were able to follow her, and they find her at the nexus of the great magical power, where there is the actual eternal flame, not in Arlington Cemetery. No. (laughs) (laughs) And just as she's about to destroy the gun, Job snatches it out of her hands, and we have our face off with Dreyfus Job, Laura, Crane, and Diana. We actually get an opportunity to see Diana shoot Dreyfus where they go, uh-oh. You know, and, and Dreyfus, of course, plays it up immensely. Oh, he did, and he had a good time doing that. And I was, I was actually surprised when blood started coming out of him because I did not expect that, knowing that he would be immortal. And then, of course, right. it healed, so... Yeah, <laughs> it healed over real quick. Ah, oh, surprise. And Crane and Diana were stunned. Yes. And as Malcolm informs them that Diana is going to be his horseman, he fires the gun and Crane jumps in front of the bullet, transforms, and becomes the horseman of war. Crane did it completely on instinct. He didn't even think. He just did it. He just jumped right in front of that bullet. Right. He was not going to let somebody else get harmed again. No. He really wasn't. There there was just no way he was going to let Diana become the horseman of war, just over his dead body. <laughs> and his job as a witness is to protect people. Right. And th- this is so ingrained in him. It's He's not only a gentleman of an earlier century, you know, full of chivalry. He knows that he needs to do this. He's a man of honor. He's a hero. He was. He jumped in front of her. There wasn't even a second of he- hesitation. He was not going to allow that to happen. Yes. He was not going to allow Dreyfus to use her and turn her into something evil. And it was so shocking because they exactly. had so much that they had to take in in such an extraordinarily small amount of time. And he right. made that instant decision. And he moved fast. Oh, he did move fast because Diana thought she had been shot. She just stood there. Right. She yeah. looked, she waited, <laughs> and then there went Crane, and he crumpled. And he turned all fiery in his chest and his eyes. His beautiful blue eyes turned this golden fire color, and I'm sure all female sleepyheads everywhere said no, right? <laughs> yep. Or just sat there and couldn't even say no because their jaw had fallen on the ground and they didn't know where it was, so they couldn't talk anymore. <laughs> like, just Like, oh, stunning, stunning move. Yes, stunning. and as they pull out, you know, we seem the armor, war's armor, encase him. Is that what you think it was? Because I thought, yes. okay, if you thought you thought it was the armor, I thought that what it was is that he was evaporating, dying, and his soul was being taken to purgatory or health, H-E-L-L, sorry, I know we probably have kids listening, but whatever, I'm sure they've already heard it. That That's where he was being taken first. I didn't, and I, because you could see the dark outline on the ground, but I thought more that was where he had been. So interesting. You thought it was the armor. I thought it was more he was completely imploding, exploding, whatever, and going down to hell first and before he would become the official horseman of war, even though he said, I am become war. Huh. Right. Well, I guess. Yeah, I saw the helmet and the rest of it. And then he actually looked like he had a sword in his hand as well. I'm going to have to go back and look that at that again. I've only watched it four times so far. and I pick up. So- <laughs> I know only. And I keep picking up something new every single time I watch it. Huh. I'm going to go look at that again, that last shot. Yeah. See if I can do a screen capture and stick it up here uh, for all the sleepyheads on our Facebook page. 
Yes, and see if they agree with me or not. <laughs> oh, you're probably right. <laughs> I, I'm. I'm just. I still look at that scene and I can't get beyond the fact that he turned into he turned into one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh my gosh. Oh my. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I guess that means Jenny's going to have to step up to the plate. Yes, I think this definitely is going to put a um, halt to her uh, plans that we find out. Yeah, I think it is too. Because we know that she did talk to Donnie Lou on the phone. The character that we met, la- was that only last week? Mm-hmm. And that she apparently had already agreed to get the artifact. And, and Donnie says, hey, send me a list of names of the people that you want, the folks that you want on your team. But you could still see that little bit of hesitation in her. Right. And she goes, yeah, I still got something that's going to, I got to wrap up here in D.C. And he turns around and says, well, don't take too long. You know, you Another week, we've, we've got people that want to pay us to go do this. I know, because apparently it's such a, you know, cream of the crop type of an assignment. But of right. course, she had that conversation with him after she got her posterior handed to her in the <laughs> tunnels by, at that point in time, an unknown young mysterious woman, right? Who had just yes. stolen one of the books, or as Crane put it, tomes from the vault that they needed. What a great fight scene. That was awesome. Too bad it was so dark in the tunnels. <laughs> yes. But it had to be. But as Jenny said later on, she was like, well, wait a minute. This woman seemed to know every single move that I was going to make and was basically ready to deflect her and beat her. But she didn't kill her, right? Yes. So, And that should have been our first hint there. Monsters. Well, actually, the first hint should have been at the play when you look up and you see her right. walking <laughs> along the back. In essence, she's watching her younger self and she's seeing her mom for what she thinks may be the last time, right? Right. So, wow. And how Diana reacted to it. Yeah, that she felt like she something. had that something wasn't right here. And yep, yep. So, I mean, there were so many hints. And if you go back and you look at it, it's like, yeah, duh. Well, of course, it's easy to play armchair quarterback when it's Monday. Um, right. But, but of course, there that kind of also had me questioning this because if Jenny had enough time to train Molly how to fight, then how do we go back and see Molly being the same age, basically with Malcolm, if that actually occurs. So it, it kind of went and eh, maybe a little hand wave there. Well, I don't think that Jenny taught her. I think that oh. Malcolm taught her. And Job oh, maybe okay. taught her, but hmm. she. But I think that she knew enough on how to fight. And who knows? Maybe, maybe there were tapes somewhere of of Jenny. Because you know, one thing that would make a lot of sense to us, and and I know we can get into this in theories. Because the more I think about it, the more I think about stuff. <laughs> but but if Crane had been captured somewhere, and Diana had been killed, and Molly disappeared. There's no way, Jenny, even if she had taken this job and gone off artifact hunting, at some point she would have learned this and she would have come back and she would have been hunting for them. Oh, absolutely. Crane would, I mean, Jenny would never, ever leave Crane in this position. (laughs) No way. And even if she had gone artifact hunting and she found out when she came back and found out that they had disappeared, she would have scoured every single place possible to find all of them. Exactly. But anyway, it was it was just so interesting. 
to watch that and to watch that fight and to see Jenny lose and to be stunned that she lost. But the thing that she noticed also that should have been, you know, hint, the next hint for us, well, actually, hint number one certainly was the going to the play. Hint number two is that this woman knew about the vault. Right. Although she could have known. And exactly where the book was that she wanted. And then hint number three was Jenny and we, as the audience, saw the symbol of the of the arma mutata on her on her arm and that should have been another hint to us although until i saw that i thought that perhaps this young woman was maybe she was someone who had worked with the witness before crane which i think we just talked about last week right who right. would have been the witness before crane if he was buried for 200 years plus then who would have been doing the job at that time or was nobody doing the job because you would think right. there were always two witnesses and so i I thought in the back of my mind, this is someone who was affiliated with a prior witness, the way that Jenny was affiliated with her sister right. and supporting her sister as a witness. And that was the first thing I believed. Okay, then dumb me. And then finally, as we get into it, I'm like, uh-uh, that's not what this is at all. And then I, I figured it out before the reveal, fortunately. But the end, I didn't see coming. No. So what was also interesting, though, is that Jenny is going on this path. And so here she's working with Jake and Alex. They're going on the recon of Dreyfus's little mansion cabin in the woods. And so she says to them, well, what would you recommend doing? How would you recommend that we go and kind of case this place? And she says that she's not always going to be around. This is a teachable moment. And you're like, wow, she's, I mean, she's told Donnie she's going. She's basically telling them they're going to go and holy Toledo. Yeah. But of course, then after they get captured, she literally drops in. <laughs> yeah. Like, how did she get up there? On top of the henchmen, after Alex and Jake have been mind-gamed by Dreyfus and Job, and after they've left when they realize they've gotten all the information that they're going to get. And I actually was surprised that Job just didn't dispose of them on the spot. True. Because he really didn't need them. Dreyfus right. didn't need them. We don't think. Although Malcolm had made a point of saying that you were the only two employees of the vault. So maybe he felt that there were going to be things in the vault that he could use and therefore he would need them later and he could enslave them or, you know, whatever. Right. But anyway, so Jenny got literally dropped on the henchman that was guarding them. They're leaving the cabin. They look up. There's Marine One flying overhead with two escort helicopters. And they realize that Dreyfus's cabin is right in the path that Marine One would take to go to Camp David, the president's ret uh, retreat, and that then they realize that this is what Dreyfus is wants to do. He wants to kill the president of the United States with the four horsemen. Exactly. And I think probably at that point, Jenny said, well, I guess I'm not going totem hunting after all. No, she's going to say that next week when she finds out what happened. Right. So because uh, I'm sure in her mind, this is something, well, we're going to get this cl cleared up still and we're going to save the day. No, she's she's got a big aha moment ahead of her. Yes, she does. Yeah. And I'm guessing that Diana and a and well, we'll have to talk about whether we think it'll be a grown up Molly or not. Right. We'll be telling this to her, we hope, because we still are left with that little situation in the woods. So let's talk about uh, <laughs> Diana and. Young Molly and Laura, a.k.a. grown-up Molly. Well, we see Molly, of course, acting in her play. 
And afterwards, she asked to go to a friend's house and spend the night with all the girls from the play. And Diana actually agrees to it. Now, wasn't it adorable, though, that Molly helped her young classmate with his lines because he got partway in and then he forgot them? Yes. (laughs) And she knew the lines. Smart. Again, showing that she's a very smart young woman. And we've known this about her. But I think... That really hammered the point home, especially when we later realized we were seeing the grown-up version of this of this young girl. And, of course, afterwards, she agrees to let her go, and then she kind of gets a glimpse of Laura, but doesn't quite lock in on it. But she tells Crane that she feels like somebody walked over her grave. Yeah. That very uh, negative foreboding there. Of course, I loved Crane's uh, comeback. Yeah, I know how that feels. <laughs> Maybe twice. <laughs> yes. Maybe now coming on three times. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> and we see that Miss Laura has got quite a bit of talent. Uh, not only is she able to get into the vault and get the book that she wanted, but she's also able to get away from Jenny. And Diana and Jenny had the perfect plan. Diana was going to go first, say there's nothing here, head on out, wait for um, Laura to pop back in, and Jenny's right there to get her, but it didn't quite go the way Jenny expected it to. No, and, and here was the other strange thing. We saw Laura in the vault, and because she came in, she got the book, we saw her in there, and yet none of the other protective spells or... Their little alarm system went off. Right. None of the wards seemed to have stopped her at all uh-huh. until she was leaving. And I almost wonder if, I can't imagine that she would have tripped it on purpose so that they would have found her. You know, and maybe part of her wanted to get caught and part of her did not want to get caught because she didn't want to put any of them in danger. But you have to wonder, how is it that she managed to get in? And then when she was leaving on her way out, that's when the alarm tripped. Right. The only way, the only thing I can think of is that she got in from outside, not through the tunnels. And as because she was going, leaving through the tunnels, that's when the alarm occurred is the the tunnels are definitely alarmed. So they know somebody's down in the tunnels, but apparently she was able to get through the wards above ground. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But she knew how to get in. Yes, she did. And she'd only been yelling in the tunnels that one time with Crane before when they were listening to their echoes. Right. When Mr. Stitch kind of woke from the dead, more or less, came to life. Yes. He heard his girl calling. He did. Now, once they do capture her, Diana makes the comment that she feels like she knows this girl's face, but can't place it. And, you know, she mentions that, well, maybe it's on some watch list. Another hint for us that went woof right over the head. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And, of course, Laura informs them that Dreyfus will not rest until he gets and uses the gun. And, of course, she does tell them that her name is Laura. It must not be uh, Molly's middle name. And where she came up with Laura, who knows. But it's definitely not what Dreyfus calls her, so she was using it as a completely fake name. Right. And, of course, she informs them that, yes, when the gun is fired, it will raise the horsemen of war. And she's doing this to help Diana. 
which should have been a set, another smoking hint for us. Yeah, we were all we've been also we've all been so fixated on John Noble coming back as the Horseman of War and wondering how he could be raised again, right? And we're all of us are so convinced that it's going to be John Noble as the Horseman of War, you know, completely letting go of the fact that he had been vaporized before, right? And that he was gone. And of course, because right. we've seen him in the dream. Um, yes. So who, oh my goodness. <laughs> we weren't even open to the possibility of someone else being the Horseman of War. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, of course. Nice job, writers. Nice yes, job. Yes, very nice. Nice job. You know, the hints were there and we were so totally blind to them that we. We refused. We refused to see what was going on in front of our own eyes. Right. Now, of course, it was extremely interesting that Laura used a crystal to uh, push Job slightly out of time. And, of course, Crank questions her about that and said, well, it was to be used only as a last resort. And she says the world will change if Dreyfus gets the gun and they need to destroy it. Yeah, and so there was another glaring hint right in front of us, right? Right. Time manipulation. <laughs> and yes. which, but but and so that we should have seen, okay, she's a time traveler, people, cool. right? Only use it as a last resort, which means something really bad is going to happen. But you know what, what I also found was interesting was, huh, you mean you can push a devil out of time? And I thought that well that's that's interesting. I wonder if that will also come into play later or not. I have a feeling it will. I mean, Crane did get the crystals. And hopefully, well, he gave them to um, Laura before the uh, shot. So Laura still should have them, mm-hmm. I believe, if mm-hmm. I remember. And, of course, she does tell them how to destroy the gun, uh, the ley lines, and a nexus of primal energy, a point where the ley lines cross is a safe place. Well, it wasn't all that safe because Dreyfus and Job are able to get there. And it's, and, and it's interesting because they knew where to go. Laura, Laura, grown up Molly, she knew yeah. where to go. They knew where to go. She knew about ley lines. And I'm thinking all of this, that she's been taught all of this. And, I, and I'm going to guess that some of it, too, was that as a, as a young witness and the curiosity that she had, that they allowed her to learn whatever she wanted to learn because there was no one else to tell her what she was supposed to be doing as a witness. Right. And, and, no, and she never knew that. And because, well, because they didn't get rid of Crane, she would sneak down and visit him. And I believe he's the one who taught her everything that she knew because she actually says a not so Crane Crane is the one who was able to come up with this time manipulation so she could come back. Exactly. That he taught her. Right. And so we're going to talk about that some more because there ain't no crane no more to teach her anything. So Exactly. Yes, good old butterfly effect. So we will have some nice chitty chat about that. Yes, we will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Diana was smart enough to put a tracer on her because she did feel something about the girl didn't feel right to her. And, you know, as far as this girl's concerned, Diana just didn't feel right from... Until she actually said Molly. <laughs> yes, I know. Stunning. Of course, Laura is able to call the flame. And just as she is basically handing the, the gun over, it doesn't quite make it to the flame to be destroyed. No. And of course, Laura begs Malcolm not to do this. 
And he goes, well, aren't you a bit ahead of schedule? Yeah. And that was at that. I think at that was about the right before then is when I had figured out who she was. Right. Because he knows. But actually, how did, well, I guess Malcolm had enough visions of the future to recognize her maybe. I, I would agree. I think that because he had seen visions of the future. Right. And the only thing that we know that young Molly had seen was a vision of an older crane in right. chains. And she only saw that as a child because if he was that much older, she would have already have been adult Molly at that point in time. Right. You know, there's one other thing that Laura had said to Diana and Crane that was a huge monster size giveaway at that point in time, right? When right. they were asking her about Dreyfus because they realized that she knew him. When she said she grew up without her mother, she right. came to rely on Dreyfus. He was yes. never cruel to her. He wants to destroy democracy and replace it with tyranny, and he knows that he would win. And that's when she locked him up, and she said she couldn't let it happen. And boy, I mean, if that didn't smack you in the face, which <laughs> at that point in time, no, it still didn't quite smack me in the face, but... Growing up without her mother, relying on Dreyfus, never cruel to her. Like, bam, bam, bam. You know, oh, I mean, how, right. how obtuse could I have been? Oh, <laughs> goodness gracious. Uh, that's all right. A lot of us were. It's okay. Yes. We have to be more forgiving of ourselves. The writers were brilliant. Yes, they actually were. And, of course, when Dreyfus informs them that Diana is going to be the new horseman of war, you kind of go, well, that was a twist. I, like we said, we were expecting uh-huh. him to somehow resurrect John Noble as the Horseman of War, not turn Diana into the Horseman of War. Yeah, that but, was stunning. But it makes sense. How would he get Molly? Oh, get rid of the mom. Exactly. And of course, when Laura says, Yeah, I never saw my mom again after the play ever, Boom. she goes, Yeah, Molly? Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so here we thought we had our two big reveals. Diana was supposed to be the horseman of war. Laura's grown-up Molly, right? Right. Wrong. One, two, three punches, and you're out. (laughs) Boom. And speaking of some punches, boy, did Alex and Jake have to take a few on this episode. No kidding. So Alex figured out a way to spy on Job and Malcolm through his computer. And, you know, she's rattling this off, right? Like a, a complete cyber security nerd. And, right. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. Girl, you're smart. She's talking about all the IP addresses and he's running it through seven countries and all this kind of stuff. And I had to laugh because, you know, she's using the little camera on, on, the, on the computer, right, to spy on him. Right. And, and I've got a friend at work who, who has his covered up um, with tape, right? So that you right. can't yes. paper and tape so that nobody can see. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. And I'm watching this episode and I'm like, huh, I think I'm going to go tell my friend Paul that he's right. Yes. <laughs> okay. Maybe I should do that. Too. Yes. Nobody I can... dock my laptop. I don't open it. <laughs> so. so nobody can see me on the video cam. I thought, huh? All right. Right. <laughs> Very person of interest ish. Yes. Yes. Indeed it was. Yeah. And so she doesn't have his location yet, but she says she's going to find it. Now, of course, Jake is the one who recognized the symbol, the um, Arma Mutata, which means changing armor, and it's used for dark magic. Wow, what a surprise. It was used for dark magic, wasn't it? And yes, changing it changing armor, right? Yeah, so Crane is going to change it from 
an armor of like human flesh to uh, the armor of the horseman of death. Egads. And of course, uh, we knew then that scales um, had been charged by the hunger demon for pestilence. The scroll was charged by the the Dijin for famine. The axe is going to be for headless. And war, here it is. It's the Turricula ignis, the weapon of fire, and it's it's the gun. So there we go. Jake is brilliant. I'll tell you, not only is he adorable, but he's brilliant because he has been so excited by everything that's going on that he has been going through the vault. He knows what the books are. He doesn't have them all memorized, but by darn, he knows a lot of stuff. So he was able to identify what that missing book was and that it had a vague account of this courier mission in it that, of course, Crane hopped right back in. You know, how many couriers <laughs> were there? Yep. What? Yeah. What What part of the war weren't you involved in? <laughs> oh, thank goodness uh, we had at least that humor. Yeah, I loved Jake's comment that he is doesn't have the eidetic memory. It's mnemonic. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, what? So he is. I'm sorry, but he is. He's my most favorite new character ad this year. He's just adorable. So Alex then finally, you know, as, as she, she does track down where Dreyfus is in the woods in Maryland, and off they go, and they go and they recon. And Alex and Jake find those four coffins, which they know is not a good sign. Exactly. And sure enough, poof, there's Job, and he gets the uh, uninvited but not unwanted guest. Um, you know, it's like, uh, we're, we're out of here. Well, sorry, we'll, we'll see you. Uh, no, you aren't. And, of course, Alex realizes that Malcolm knows that they tapped his feed because, as he stated, he is, after all, an Internet billionaire. You know, what right. do you think you're doing? You don't hack him. Right. I hack you. I know. That was that was a, such a terrible moment for them. But then what was yes. worse, when Job came along and he put his hand on Jake's back, and it just almost like burned into his soul, right? Right. Because they weren't, you know, Jake is like, we're not, I'm, we're not giving up any information. And then he turns and he snaps Alex's neck. And then suddenly Job goes, poof, he snaps his fingers and it was all mind games. But boy, I'll tell you what. Within that split second, I was like, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, <laughs> they just killed Alex off the show. And yeah. they didn't. Yeah. And Jake was the same way. Oh, my goodness. Yes. He thought it was real. Yes. And I thought it was real. And I thought all of us for that minute, for just that second, oh, my gosh, they just killed Alex. But Job snaps his fingers and it's all over. It's right. back to where it was. But he knows that Alex is the one who we'll be able to give them the information that they need. Uh-huh. Because her feelings are so close to the surface. Yeah, but Jake doesn't quite know what that means. No. No. <laughs> no. But he does know that he is not going to let them hurt Alex. Right. He will do anything to keep them from hurting Alex, and he gives up some information. It's not everything, because... They went after the book, and they went to find Job. So they really probably don't know a whole lot of, you know, where is the totem right now. Well, but Job knew that Molly, adult Molly, had time-traveled. He right. knows that she had the Turricula, right? Yes. And so if, he, if they know, so that if Job, Job and Dreyfus, if they know that Crane knows about the book, 
Oh, and they know that the paths have already crossed because Job was there when Crane and Diana and adult Molly were all together. Right. So it's like rut row. So why didn't Job just tell that to Dreyfus and they already take off in advance to go find those three? Right. Huh. Like maybe Job wasn't doing his duty, but I can hand wave that because then we wouldn't have had the drama of Alex and Jake. Right. So, and so they take off and they leave a henchman behind to guard Alex and Jake, which again, like I said, I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't just dispatch the two of them there unless they needed them for some reason, uh, because they did know the vault. And as Alex begins to confess to Jake that it, they aren't <laughs> just best friends, at least according to her, Jenny drops in on the scene and, Right. rescues them and and so the moment is interrupted and, and priority one is let's get the heck out of here yes so we will see if alex lets her um confession go by the wayside or if jake brings it back up yeah because <laughs> i think they've got some other pressing priorities right now i think so but you know what if you're at the moment of life and death then you say things that need to be said yes I mean, I th- I think especially of the um, the passengers on the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania on 9-11 that were able to get through phone calls. And they said things or left messages for their loved ones that, that they needed to say. And so here, if they're fighting evil on what could be the end of their world and the end of them, there's a good chance that Alex is going to say what she needs to say. Yep, I think so. Yeah. All right, moving on to Malcolm and Job. Egads, let's move them out. Yes. Wow. Unfortunately, we see them getting all spiffy in the cabin. Malcolm mentions needing to get the artifact for um, war, the Tericula Ignanus, and Job's working on his on a way to heal Headless, and hopefully it'll be soon. And no, we don't hope it'll be soon. <laughs> well, he hopes it'll be soon. <laughs> right. Well, we know what's going to make Headless Strong is the head of the president. We already heard that earlier oh, in the season. That's right, uh, from head of state, because yes. he wanted the president's head. That's yes, what's going to heal him. Holy sugar. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think we know what's going to happen next episode then. Yeah. <laughs> Holy Toledo. Wow. Okay. Now, of course, Joe pops into the barn to retrieve the. Uh, totem for war but adult molly is prepared with the uh, crystal which shoves him out of time temporarily and of course it seemed to have done quite a bit of uh damage to him because when he pops back up to um capture jake and alex it looked like he might have been ran over by a mac truck not a big enough one but at least one and of course we finally get to hear um Job's demon voice, which I thought was uh, quite interesting. We had two demon voices then. Yes. Job's and Crane's. And of course, they interrogate Jake and Alex. And like you said, Dreyfus doesn't get hacked. He does the hacking. So now he knows pretty much where the vault is. And of course, Job plays the brilliant mind game on Jake to get him to crack and tell them what they know. Of course, Job and Dreyfus do get the gun, and, of course, the Vulcan fire is extinguished. Diana shoots Dreyfus, and we get this great, horrible acting by Dreyfus going, Oh, woe is me! I'm dying! And then laughing it off like, Oh, no, I'm not. 
Yeah, you, we got to give uh, kudos to uh, Jeremy Davies for uh, really being an incredible yucky bad guy this season. Yes, because <laughs> uh, for a while we thought he was a bit of a weenie, um, right? Especially when his former partner invaded his business and almost yes. t- and tried to take him out. But right. boy, has he become just a crazy lunatic, wickedly evil person, although adult Molly seems to think that he still has some redeeming qualities in him. Right. Which when you hear her say that, you go, well, I can really, I can see him treating Molly that way because he wants to be a father figure to her. So he's going to be completely different than what he is to the rest of the world. Yeah. But remember that when Molly talked to him at the end, Right. He says, this is what I wanted to be. Yeah, that she actually knew him, knew what he wanted to be. Right. But he always had that jealousy. He had that jealousy for his former partner. He thought that his life's work was going to go up in smoke in a car wreck, right, in flames, which, interestingly enough, is that it got saved for him when he made the the deal with Job and the devil. But Benjamin Banneker's papers all burned up. And... I don't know if he has enough good in him to be good. And I think at this point, we don't want him dead anyway after what he did to Crane, so. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. No. I I want to see um, Henry take care of uh, Dreyfus. Like he did with Moloch? Now, that would be amusing. Yes. Yeah. All right. Shall we move on to side notes? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So, one of the things that I thought, at least the only thing that didn't go by me, ultimately was the communal table that Crane called a restaurant, and then he was corrected, right? Yes. And so it was called the Kestrel and Freya. And I thought to myself afterwards, I thought, that's a really unusual name. So somewhere about the third watch after I was, you know, absorbing everything else that had happened, um, I listened to the, what I think there were the two patrons that were eating there. And the guy said, that well, they came s- out the front. And- uh-huh. And he said, well, they source it from an organic way-fed pork farm in the Hudson Valley. And I thought, you know what? The writers are always putting in Easter eggs of some kind. Call-outs, a lot of times for the fans, a lot of times it's for their family or friends. And I thought, this is too unusual. So I went Google surfing. And sure enough, so Kestrel and Freya are the daughters of Ruby Metzner Duke and Sather Duke, the founders of the Raven and Boar, which is a family-owned farm in East Chatham, New York, in Hudson Valley. So did you catch did you catch the maiden name of the mom? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So apparently this is M. Raven's sister, and the two girls that he named this communal table after are his nieces, and uh, his sister and his brother-in-law run this family-owned farm that do indeed have organic way-fed pork. And uh, so anybody who lives up in that area, uh, apparently they supply a lot of the restaurants. They've got a little website, ravenandboar.com. Free advertising here, folks. And you can find them on Twitter at Raven and Boar. If you're living up in that area, it's something you might want to check out. And they've got some other things, too. Apparently they've got a little design business on the side. Nice little website. So there you go. It's a family affair. And well done shouting out M. Raven's family. Excellent job. Very nice. 
Uh, apparently, you did some uh, Google surfing on the uh, title of the episode as well. Yeah, I, I thought the way of the gun, and I haven't, I haven't really surfed on any of the titles this season. Of course, you know I do it for other podcasts that we did on the show Frequency, and so I thought, you know what, the way of the gun. I thought that is unusual, and I, and I, for some reason, it sort of rang a bell with me. So I went googling it, and sure enough, it's a two thousand movie that received kind of poor reviews initially, but it's becoming a cult classic. It has um, Brian Felipe in it and Benicino del Toro. And this was actually put together by Christopher McQuarrie. And it has been become a bit of a cult classic. And it's a story uh, that has a lot of interesting twists and turns to it. And it has an unhappy ending. So, oops. <laughs> I thought, oh, I hope, I hope you're not trying to tell us something. Exactly. But interesting. I thought, well, maybe they named it after that. Who's to say? Exactly. Now, our guest cast, of course, was Kamar De La Reyes as Job, Seychelle Gabriel as Laura, a.k.a. Adult Molly, and she played Lourdes on Falling Skies, Edwin Hodge as Benjamin Banneker, and Lawrence Cow as Donnie Lou. Get into some theories and prophecies now, Barb? Well, let's do it, Steve. What should we talk about first? <laughs> there are so many to talk yeah. about this week. Well, let's talk about seeing that we've uh, just recently did a series on time travel-ish uh, stuff and the butterfly effects, things that happen in the past that affect the future. What do you think about adult Molly and what this is doing to the present, the past, and the future? Yeah, this is so this is pretty interesting. For those of you who probably have not heard or who may not have heard of the butterfly effect before, and I'm, I'm sure quite a few of you had because we're all kind of geeky. Yeah. But of course, in the butterfly effect, what this means is that if you, if you go back and if you make a change in your past, it's kind of like throwing a stone in a lake, right? And you're going to see the ripples and the ripples expand the further out they go. So if you make a change, then you're going to have some kind of effect on the future. And so here... Molly, I'm going to call her adult Molly, because Laura just doesn't seem right, although it'll be interesting to see if they call her Laura next week, too. Right. But she just made a significant change to the future, because now we know that Dreyfus, apparently in some timeline, killed Diana. He apparently killed the President of the United States. He raised the horsemen. He got power. He ruled the place. He took Molly as his ward, and he apparently raised her until to adulthood. And he captured and imprisoned Crane. He tortured him. We saw the cuts on Crane's face. He had Crane in chains. And so Molly has just changed this because yeah. she changed things so that Crane took the bullet and Crane became the horseman of war. So that means he can't be there in the future to... Tell Molly Teach how, to, how get back. to come back. Yeah. A, B, then her mom is still there in the present, unless Dreyfus and Job kill Diana. Right. So all of a sudden you've got this this little loop because we still have young Molly in the present who hasn't been taken over yet by Dreyfus. And so theoretically, under a butterfly effect, that should have an immediate consequence on time. And Adult Molly slash Laura then should go poof and disappear from the scene and nobody should have any memory of her. Right. And we don't know whether that or not that happened because our parting shot or our last shot of the scene was just Diana over Crane. 
and we don't right. know what happened to anybody else around them. So now what happens? Uh, that this may have this may become a hand wave because the butterfly effect would dictate that adult Molly could no longer be in that time. But if adult Molly couldn't be in that time, then she couldn't. She also couldn't affect that change that just occurred. Right. So the the one thing that yes could have could allow that is if yes somehow Dreyfus does end up killing Diana somehow Team Witness saves Crane and they create another Horseman of War or if then Jenny teaches Molly somehow on the sly all the tricks so that Jenny can so that she can come back still in time right but anyway so this is going to be a little convoluted um <laughs> Definitely. I think the other thing that's going to be very strange is that Molly slash Laura, she clearly had feelings for Dreyfus, a fondness for him. He was her father. She sees good in him. And she may not want him to be killed by Team Witness. Right. Yes, I'm absolutely sure that she doesn't want him to be killed. She She wants to save him just like she wanted to save her mom. Exactly. Now, I think that all the fans, myself included... (laughs) We want him to die, die a horrible, terrible death because he just turned Crane into war, our hero. But she won't want him to do. She's not going to want that to happen. She may try and prevent that from happening. Yes. So she tried. And it's interesting because I think there's a little bit of naivety there, too. But she's only seen the side of Dreyfus that she thinks is wonderful. But she's clearly seeing these terrible things that he has done. And she sees something in the future that he is going to do that she thinks is so terrible that she has to come back and change the past despite the fact that she loves him like a father. Yes. So there is something there that we don't know about yet that he's going to do that's beyond horrible. And maybe he will end the world. Or maybe he's taken over the U.S. and he's going to take over the world. Right. Um, Or maybe she's found out that he's killing people. We don't know. Right. But it's something that she just feels is so horrible that she cannot allow it to occur. And it probably has something to do with Crane. Maybe. Crane is his prisoner, so... He can do just about anything he wants to crane. Maybe he's had enough time to discover a way to actually eliminate the witnesses. Yeah, but then he'd have to eliminate Molly. And, you know, and, I, and we talked a couple episodes ago, too, about how it, it would make sense that he would try and keep Molly and he would imprison Crane because if he just killed them, then two more witnesses would take their place. Right. And so if he, if he had Crane under lock and key... Then where he can control him, and then he's controlling Molly by raising her, then he kind of has him on his side. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, Molly had that tattoo on her on her arm of his flag, right? right? Mm-hmm. The sign of his kingdom. And, and so if you, if you go back to biblical references, it talks about in the end times that people will wear, they will be marked by the devil. They will have the mark of the right. devil on them, right? right. And mm-hmm. so when I saw that, that was one of the first things that I thought of is that, here is a person who has the mark of the devil on them and so that they've been chosen and they will be they will become part of the devil so does that does that forebode something bad for future adult molly as well i don't know right i mean yes you could actually look at it at, at this point in time that both the witnesses have been converted to evil yeah, right now you could say that yes right mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be a terrible twist we and and getting back to the way of the gun, unhappy ending. Uh-uh. No, no, no. Right. Uh, or what they talked about, a Grimm's fairy tale. 
They don't always have happy Zen, endings. Well, You're right. Like, Wait, stop on this. Yeah. I know. Don't don't yeah. send us hate mail, please. This is not what we're advocating. No. <laughs> but it's it's certainly, you know, I I, I think that we're being led to believe this, which which with two episodes left tells me we're gonna go one of two ways. Either we're gonna get this all wrapped up here by the end in, within two episodes and we're gonna have a happy ending, or we're gonna have one of the biggest cliffhangers since since we were left with who shot JR, right? Right. That that we are going to be left with Crane still as a horseman of war and all of the horsemen coming to power. Right. With with Team Witness, what remains of Team Witness trying to stop them. And that could be our season cliffhanger with two left to go. Right. So I could it see it, I could see it going either way. Yes. And that would be a humdinger and yeah. Uh, we're pretty sure that we will probably get to see Crane as the Horseman of War and get to see Tom Meissen play evil. So that should be real interesting to see how that plays out and how much interaction we get with evil, uh, evil. Ichabod. Yeah, because he's always been, he's been nice. He's been strong. He's been morally upright. And so now this has got to be great for Tom Meissen because he gets to use his acting chops to play somebody horrible, wicked, evil, potentially. And I think that's a real nice character twist for him. Yes. And I saw one of the tweets on Friday night that said, how did the, you know, something about, I think, how did everyone react um, when they saw this? And, right. and yeah, they all uh, smiled. <laughs> yeah, they all smiled. Yeah. And 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 here you've got what Henry and Jer well Henry Jeremy he was war so you know like father like son right and I think the other nice thing about this is that Crane isn't going to be in charge to lead them exactly the rest of the team has to rise to the occasion they are going to have to become leaders without their leaders without relying on the person on whom they have relied right and what is Headless going to do when he realizes war is Ichabod. I know, because they they are like sworn Mortal enemies. Enemies, yes. So who's that not to could... say Yeah, backfire. Yes. Mm -hmm. Huge backfire. Mm -hmm. I thought about that too. And so all of a sudden Dreyfus might find himself with a really big problem on his hands. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now of course, how were we gonna save Crane? There's Several unique possibilities out there. Um, Use the hashtag Save Crane on Twitter. <laughs> I don't right. think that I don't think that'll entirely work. <laughs> oh yeah, it will. Uh, I'm sure uh, it's already been used uh, several hundred thousand times already. Oh uh, yeah. And I think it's either going. You know, Henry is going to be involved somehow. Agree. And you know, before this episode, we were thinking that yes, Ichabod would be able. To Henry would end up being war again, and Ichabod would get to him and somehow get, bring him back. Yeah, because we, well, thought, we thought we would see some, finally, maybe some resolution or some peace for Ichabod on the whole father-son dynamic. Right. That, that, was, that ended so poorly for them. Yes. And with so many regrets. Because, okay, and so that is definitely still out there. It just didn't playing out the way we originally <laughs> <laughs> not it e might. not even close. <laughs> so, but it's still in play. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is we've got to go back to clues about what happened with with Henry Jeremy. Okay. So we know that he was that he was born that Ichabod didn't even know about him. Right. He that, was already buried. He was, yeah. Before he, was he was born. Yeah. So 
Then Henry Jeremy, he was placed in the care of Grace Dixon. Then he entered in, he was placed in an orphanage when Grace and her husband were killed. He was beaten. He created the golem to protect himself. The Sisterhood of the Radiant Heart was afraid of the power that he had. He wouldn't join them. And they, and so then they used that spell to bury him for 200 years. So again, you know, like father, like son. Here we go. Okay, so Malik approached him and freed him in return for Jeremy Henry becoming the Horseman of War. But Malik always berated him, which ultimately turned Jeremy Henry against Malik. And he was given the armor. And, and see, this is one of the reasons why I thought that Crane wasn't necessarily truly war yet, right? Because yeah. Henry Jeremy was given he, the armor of, hor- of the Horseman of War kind of like a proxy, right? And he controlled that armor. And I think for a while, wasn't, wasn't Frank, Frank Irving going to become the proxy there as well when he was slinging his sword around and he had all those same same uh, visions too? Right. Yes. We, we had a feeling that he could have become a horseman as well. Right. But we also know, though, that Henry Jeremy, he was, he was a warlock. He inherited uh, some of Katrina's powers, witch powers. Yes. And Crane, we know he doesn't have that. So now the question is, can and he could reach across the of dimensions because he actually was able then, but of course part of that might have been because of Moloch, and he was able to help getting you know get Katrina out of purgatory. But Henry Jeremy he used the sword of Methuselah to slay Moloch, and then he hit it. So will that sword come back into play to free Crane? Ooh, very nice. I think that's definitely a strong possibility there. Yeah, because they're going to have to use something. So. And the question is, then, is it used to kill Job? Is it used to kill Dreyfus or both of them? Right. Or is it just used to basically break the armor that's encasing Crane and break, you know, send the spirit of war back to where it came from? That's and that's another good thought. Or, Or maybe it's not used at all. But I have to believe as smart as these writers are. As many callbacks as we have had this season right? to seasons one, two, three, I'm thinking that sword is just waiting to be used again. Yes. Yeah. And I think maybe we may not have a reconciliation between father and son, but perhaps there will be a, at least a meeting of the minds and a pe- some kind of peaceful resolution that Crane would be able to live with. I hope. We can hope so. Yeah, I hope. we can hope so. Hope. <laughs> and... We've also got potentially twice the Molly power because we've got young Molly and we've got adult Molly. Now, will they meet? I, that's called a paradox, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know, and they're really not the kind of rules of time travel, hard and fast, that you see with what robots and, or, and right. humans are supposed to do. But I think one of the rules of, of time travel is that you're really kind of not supposed to go poke it on yourself right so (laughs) now they could still possibly introduce young molly to her as laura but like i said that's still just yeah i don't know if i can see that double witness power saving crane yeah and now maybe a adult molly might be able to reach in and pull him back like crane did for abby possibly well and remember Young Molly already did that with Crane. Yes, yes. By talking, by talking to him on Good. the phone, and um, when he was all in that icky, gooey stuff outside of 
outside of the the fort in Maryland. Right. And it, yeah, so she's she's kind of pulled him back once as a child, but but bringing an adult Molly in was brilliant because we've been saying all along, how can you have a child fighting? Right. <laughs> and, and what it also means is that you then you potentially could you have an adult Molly next season? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if you could or not. It would be right. hard to have young Molly growing up and adult Molly still there too. And yeah, the time travel was only so. supposed to be temporary. Right. So hopefully it'll be two weeks and then adult Molly will go back to a much different timeline than she left. But then it makes it very hard for what do you do then in season five for an encore. True. But I'll tell you the way that they blew our minds this year, I'm, I'm sure they've got a few other aces up their sleeves. And yeah. that's why and I wonder, could this, this to the executives at Fox no wonder they bought it. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. And that's why part of me thinks, could this me be one of the most mind-blowing cliffhangers ever? Because if you carry it over into next season and do another 13-episode right. season for next year, then you can still have adult Molly. Right. Yeah. And stretch out this trying to save Crane for a whole season. Exactly. Because in essence, it's like a half a season. Exactly. Right. And I think it I think something like that would be very workable. Yep. Okay. <laughs> oh my. Mind blown. Yes. And yeah, do neither one of us think uh Jenny's gonna leave now, is she? I don't think that she would. I think that she would absolutely stay around to rescue Crane and then and that's why I think we've got a season five with a cliffhanger that Crane is still the horseman of war. Right. That would be one heck of a cliffhanger. But we know that my theories are almost always wrong. So. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, but you got some doozies here. Two weeks. All right. Yep. So I think we need a little bit. Of, do we have anything else to talk about that we might have? Uh, well, I mean, we could talk about this all night, but. Yes, we could. <laughs> but no, I think we've covered everything that we need to cover. Well, I think then we need probably a little uh, witty witticisms because, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow. And they came pretty uh, hard and heavy in the first quarter of the episode. Crane going, yes, yes, indeed. Huzzah. Very well said and said very well. And Diana goes, Crane, we're not even a minute in. Yeah, I know. <laughs> All the other parents are looking around like, really? I'm trying to record this with my kid in it. Yeah. And um, Diane, because Crane starts to get a little antsy and Diane goes, not historically accurate enough for you? Oh, he hated that Crane minuet. Well, the choreography is so stiff and stolid. It's practically a minuet. Yeah. These are enlisted men. It should be a rowdy spree. Yeah. <laughs> Crane says they're more interested in posterity than the present. Tis a shame. Theater is to be relished in the moment. To think the travails of Valley Forge would be honored centuries later on the boards by these Brave young souls. <laughs> the guy goes, shh. Crane goes, God's blood, man. This is a theater, not a morgue. I know. And after Molly gets allowed to go spend the night, Crane goes, things seem very well between you two. And Diana goes, you mean compared to her imaginary friend coming to life and trying to kill me? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just you wait, Diana. Those words are going to come back to haunt you, aren't yeah, they? Yes. <laughs> Whoa. And, of course, Diana goes, you sure you weren't an actor? Well, not unless you include John of Gaunt in the bath. Yeah. 
You know, it's funny. And they dinged him with that twice because Benjamin Banneker did the same thing. Thing, yes. <laughs> Must be some inside joke we're not aware of. Right. And then he goes to recite it on stage before he gets a strange look and stops. So <laughs> now I really want to know if this is something that he brought with him from England or if it's something that he's picked up since he's been here. I really kind of think that deep down inside, yes, Ichabod has always had a love for the theater and is just, you see him saying no, 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 but inside he's going, yes, yes, yes. Oh, heavens, <laughs> yes. He was theater trained. Yes. Oh, completely. So, yes. Uh, what was it? John Ga- John Galt is uh, part of uh, Shakespeare, Richard II. So I suspect that when when he finally completes this role, I'm going to guess he's going to go back to England and go back to the theater for a while. More than likely, unless he becomes the new Doctor Who. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> wow, he would be an awesome Doctor Who. Yes, he would. Oh. I'm sorry, he would. <laughs> wow. That's my vote for the next one if we don't get a season five. And then, of course, Crane notices Diana, you know, kind of looking a little strange and he goes something amiss you ever get that feeling like someone just walked over your grade grave in my case that may have actually happened twice (laughs) maybe more than that yeah and about to happen again boy i'll tell you the writers were brilliant they threw so many hints at us they must just sit there and laugh and wonder how many of these things we're going to pick up pick up right yeah really (laughs) and of course diane has to pop off after Crane identifies that, yes, he was there, the couriers were him and Banneker. Was there a part of the war you weren't a part of? Yeah. <laughs> Crane st- oh, the Treaty of Paris and most naval engagements because my, my sea legs are a, little, a trifle shaky. Yeah. <laughs> but, but only those. I was there for everything else. Yeah, really? <laughs> Every other battle I was there. <laughs> And, of course, as they arrive to Banneker's place, Crane goes, this can't be possible. Diana goes, you said it was burned down. Well, it did, right before my eyes. Yeah. And then the couple walks by, and you get that great look from both of them. That was, oh, we need a gif of that one. (laughs) They go in, and she goes, I'm DHS agent. (laughs) Are you? Well, Michelle Obama and her family just ate here last week. (laughs) And of course, as they sneak in, Diana goes, let's hope that hostess doesn't catch us sneaking in. I've met demons that were easier to get past. (laughs) Crane goes, indeed. I've never known anyone to guard a reservation book with such intensity. (laughs) (laughs) That was funny. Yep. All right. How about this week's history lesson, Barb? Well, history was a little tough to come by because honestly, there was so much uh, going on that there wasn't a whole lot of it history, but I got, I have two little bits and pieces, I'll call it for you this week. Crane becoming the horseman of war was the news. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so Molly Thomas's play was about Valley Forge and the hardships that General George Washington and his troops faced from December 1777 through June of 1778. Now we discussed that episode in history and the women who supported the troops in our Witness Prophecies episode 41, which was the People versus Inkabod Crane. If you want to go back and refresh your memory about that little period of history. And then also during this episode, Ichabod Crane and Benjamin Banneker watched as Banneker's home and barn burned to the ground, destroying all of Banneker's life's work. 
Well, we had a history lesson about Benjamin Banneker in episode 40, Heads of State. Now, you may recall this information from that podcast. On Tuesday, October 11th, at the family burial ground, a few yards from from his house, Benjamin Banneker was laid to rest. So he died. During the services, mourners were startled to see his house had caught on fire, quickly burning down. Nearly everything was destroyed, including his personal effects, furniture, and wooden clock. The cause of the fire was never determined. So, our twistery, at least from this week, was that Banneker saw his home and barn burn, which was not possible because he was dead when that occurred, unless he had was a horseman? No. But it made an interesting addition to this week's story. Right. And yeah. Because we never really found out how he died, did we? Um, yeah, uh, Benjamin Banneker, yeah, he died from um, old age, natural causes. I think, okay. I think he was 74, 75 when he died. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. We can't, we can't twist too much there that, yeah, he really didn't die. He, you know, it was some kind of accident where they couldn't completely identify the body type thing. <laughs> uh, we can twistery everything. All the writers want to, but yeah, he, yes. didn't, he, he didn't see his own place burned down. Not unless he had eyes as an angel from above or as a devil from below. So anyway, <laughs> feedback. Wow. Okay. Feedback eruption. Yes. No surprise. None. Not at all. And we will start with our bestie, Justina. And here she is. Hi, Marvin Steve. I really missed talking to you guys the last week, but now I'm all caught up on all the crazy shenanigans that's been happening in our nation's capital. So you know how I was talking about the Horseman of Famine being a female in one of the other mythologies I read about the Horseman? Well, it also mentions an immortal being, an evil angel of sorts, ushers in the end of the world, called a Harbinger, whose purpose it is to raise the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I'm wondering if this is the role they have given Dreyfus in the mythology the writers of Sleepy Hollow are creating. Because he's definitely immortal now, and he's definitely trying to bring about the apocalypse by raising all the horsemen. This episode was so awesome in the fact that I didn't see any of those twists coming. You know how it is. Sometimes halfway through the episode, you're like, I know how this is going to end. But not this episode. This episode was full of surprises. Magic that bends time so we can see Molly as an adult? Ichabod becoming a horseman? Never in all these seasons could I ever have predicted that. But if anyone's soul can fight the evil that is the totems of the horsemen of the apocalypse, it would be Ichabod. I mean, the man is full of positivity, beautifully displayed in the flashbacks in this episode when Ichabod was talking to Benjamin Banneker. I don't think anyone with that much hope in their heart can be totally taken over by evil. Now on to the Twitter question. How will Ichabod be saved from his fate? My theory is Molly. Molly is now Crane's anchor to this world, to his role as being a witness, just as Abby was before her. So I think Molly will be the only one strong enough to pull Ichabod back to himself. This episode gets 10 out of 10. Oh my god, I just witnessed the witness become the horseman. That was amazing. Have a great week. Once again, Justina, awesome feedback. Yeah, she talked about the harbinger, this evil angel with the purpose of raising the horsemen at the end of the world. So, yeah, that's a good question. Is this Dreyfus's role? I don't know. But like everyone else, she didn't see it coming. So, you know, no. 
I didn't feel so bad, but nice. Very nice. Yes, absolutely. And yes, I have a feeling that, yes, Dreyfus is the harbinger, as you uh, discovered. I really do. All right. We had plenty of Facebook feedback as well. Annette, OMG, still in shock. They better find a way to bring Crane back. Give it nine crystals. Just watch it again. That creep, Malcolm, they cannot allow the season to end with him victorious. Yeah, let's find out what that cliffhanger would be. Yeah. So then Julie, she said, I I give it eight magic crystals. I had to take a point off for being a bit predictable. I practically knew that had to be future Molly almost right off the bat. Well, Julie, you're smarter than I was because I did not catch that for uh, for a little while, about 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I knew Jake and Alex would get into major trouble after splitting up. That happens to be one of the most overdone cliches. However, tonight made up for it at the end. I'm sure none of us sleepyheads saw that one coming, and she's got emojis all over the place here. So, yeah, I, I don't... If there is one single sleepyhead that saw that one coming, then I want that person to tell me how the season is going to end. Exactly. Yes. And good old Todd, I have become war. Holy beep, beep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just can't say much of anything else right now, but wow, how the heck are they going to fix this? I really hope his uh, witness powers overpower the war essence. In any case, this future, which is probably what we're going to see in Dreyfus and Molly's visions a few episodes ago, can't happen the way it did. Time travel. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping old future Molly vanishes because the timeline has changed now. But that's just my inner time lord. I know some shows like this aren't deep with the time travel details. This one was one of those, one for the book, Sleepyheads. P.S. I hope Alex and Wells do end up having that conversation. Jenny so rudely interrupted with her rescue. Until next time. Yeah, I, I, I'm thinking they still wanted to be rescued anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then Linda said, sorry, but my jaw is still on the floor. Well, at least she knows where hers is. I think mine, the cats might have been playing with it because I still can't find it. Anyway, a shame that I didn't guess about the future Molly until she started telling her story. Don't feel bad, Linda. There are a whole bunch of us there with you. I give it Absolutely. eight. Yeah, I give it eight <laughs> time travelers. To me, the story moved way too slowly, but the end made up for it a bit. Next week should be off the chart. In yeah, next two weeks, I think. To shock us even more, we could find out that Mother Teresa is actually the horseman <laughs> of war. <laughs> yeah, that would be a humdinger, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yes, it would. Oh yeah. All right. And our Twitter, Facebook question of the week: Will Crane be saved, and how? So Justina believes that Molly will save him, that she's his anchor. Molly is the only one strong enough to pull him back. And Annette says maybe Henry will help him. Can't wait for the day they take that weasel Malcolm down. Oh, I am so with you on that one. Julie said, I hope he can. If Henry could turn against Moloch, then I'm going to believe that like his son, he'll come around and find a way to break free of Malcolm and Job's control. Either that or Henry will find a way to help. Pam, my head is still spinning. Friday can't come soon enough. And I love Kelly's because she's so practical. Of course he yeah. will. There is no show without Crane. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> she's 100% correct. And Linda goes, I agree Agree that it will be up to Henry. I tried not watching the coming attractions because they sneak them in so quickly. They should provide us with triggers so that we can go to our safe places before the spoilers. The sp yeah. <laughs> 
Absolutely true. They should have a commercial break and then give you the spoilers instead of going end of episode spoilers and then the commercial. Yeah, they should because a lot of other shows do that. So yes. anyway, and Twitter just exploded. I It was unbelievable. Yes. Unbelievable. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interaction. And get ready, guys, because this is a long one. <laughs> Sleepy Hollow Fox, Sleepy Hollow Riders, M. Raven Metzner, Philip Iscove, Albert Kim, Edward Hodge, who plays Benjamin Banneker, Keely McDonald, last week's writer, Sleepy Hollow Addict, Sleepy Hollow Hub, Tom Missing Fans, Sleepy Hollow Mexico, Deb K., Lawrence Griffin, Debbie Lamb, Pam Woods, Annette Nugget, Michelle McKeever, Rebecca Miller, Tiffany T., Kelly Breen, Susie, Susan, Polly T., L. Knuckles, Terry Savage, Whitehorse, BLJH, Penny Ellington, Judy, Julie Miller, Tom Boy for Life, Sarah B, Kittle, Peace, Love, and Hope, Karen McDonald, Pearl Bailey, Gwen Stevens, Wonder Woman, Esther, Valerie Kors, Brooke K. Mingle, Molly McLaughlin, Jennifer Long, Star Child One, J.G. DeVero, Alexis Marie Martinez, Jennifer Long, Earwitch 13, Kathy Tucker, Justina, Linda, Todd, Kelly, Julie G, Natalie Curran, Laura, Sin H, Justine, Kathy S, Laura Wall, William Hubert Jr., Nancy Lawson, Barbara McComber, Cynthia Lawson King, Vera Hines, The Traveling Foodie, Melissa Ann Bacon, and Diana L. And boy, if we left anyone out, we're sorry. But yeah, (laughs) at one point when Twitter says 99 plus notifications and it was like what i've never seen that before that was pretty cool yeah how can they get a hold of us barb okay there are a number of ways you guys can get in, in touch with us as you well know now our voicemail number is 304-837-2278 or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record audio or you can also typey typey out your feedback on the form and you can attach audio feedback Now, our feedback deadline is actually, we changed it for these last three episodes, and it is Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern. 4 p.m. Eastern time. Is that right? Yes, 4 p.m. Eastern. You can get in touch with us on our Facebook page, Witness Prophecies. On Twitter, we are at Witness Prof GSM. Steve is at Salyer Steve, and I am at Tangier14. All right, we've come to that part of the podcast where we discuss future episodes. So if you don't want to be spoiled, run, run as if Malcolm has the gun. And if he shoots you, you are going to become the horseman of war. All right, episode 12 tomorrow. Team Witness gets a grim look into the future on an all new Sleepy Hollow Friday, March 24th. With a glimpse into the dystopian world that could be if Dreyfus comes to power. The team learns more about Laura. Knowing what's at stake, can Team Witness put a stop to the billionaire madman before it's too late? We know guest star John Noble is coming back. We know we'll have guest star Seychelles Gabriel back as well. Yeah, so we're going to have a dot Molly, and it looks, I guess we're going back to the future, huh? Yes. So we shall probably will see the four horsemen and... Well, if we see the that fo- will be very interesting to see Crane as a horseman. There's no doubt about that. So that means if they've got the four horsemen, then that means they've got Headless back too, right? So wow, this is um, 
This could be a humdinger. It sure could. Wow. And then uh, episode 13, the last one, the season finale, is called Freedom. It's going to be on March the 31st. And Dreyfus finally garners enough power to infiltrate the White House. Okay, so that that could mean he's going to take down the president. And his group of minions grow strong enough to take action. Can team witness stop Dreyfus in time? And we know that John Noble is going to be on this one again. And adult Molly, I want to call her Laura, is also (laughs) going to be on. So that's why I'm beginning to wonder if this is if we're going to be left with a cliffhanger there. Right, because young Molly's in in that episode as well. So uh-huh, she look is. Look out. Uh, yeah, this may be a who shot Jr. Right, especially if he's just getting into the White House. Right, because they have probably three of the horsemen powered. They need the president's head to get the headless. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how probably how it's going to all down to right there as he ascends to power with the horseman leading the way for him in his processional well you right. know and i i can see this happening because otherwise how are you going to satisfactorily wrap this up in what do they get basically 44 minutes by 42 right. minutes when the when, by the time you kick out all the commercials this could be a humdinger yeah <laughs> yeah Prepare yourself, sleepyheads now <laughs> to be freaked out for like the next what six months yeah yeah. Or longer, It'll... actually, eight months. All right. Barb's also dug out some more good stuff from TVInsider.com from two days ago. Sleepy Hollow Boss on jaw-dropping Laura and Ichabod twists. Yeah. So this was with Albert Kim on um, this interview, who was the showrunner. Um, and he was shedding more light on the Molly-Laura twist, Ichabod is War, plus Henry's return, and what's to come. And the first question, then, and I, um, I did not include the entire interview here because there are spoilers in it. I will not include it in the show notes in case somebody doesn't want to get spoiled, but I will put it in here at by the time we hit the end of the season. But the first question was, at what point in developing the season and the Molly storyline specifically, did the writers realize you were going to bring a future version of Molly into the mix? And Albert Kim said, pretty early on, the Laura character had to function on two separate levels. In this episode, for the bulk of the episode, she functions solely as Laura before you get to the twist. And she has to be her own character and hold her own as a character, even without knowing what the ultimate twist is, which she did. Yes. We, were, we were interested in introducing another strong, independent-minded woman on this show, which we have a tradition of in the past. Laura was a way of bringing in an intriguing female character who keeps us in the dark as to which side she's playing for. And I think we're still going to wonder about that a little bit. Yes. So just when you think you have her pegged, you find out she's got another agenda. But is it one that really aligns with our heroes? Once you get to the twist of her being Diana's daughter, that was something we came up with relatively early because we, to be perfectly honest, had painted ourselves into an interesting narrative (laughs) corner. Because we shot the season and we made Molly the witness. We knew we had to take that storyline somewhere interesting, somewhere unexpected, because having a child be the next witness opens up a lot of cool possibilities, and we had fun exploring them over a season. But in the end, you really need to have someone that's going to be a fully functioning witness. We weren't going to have a 10-year-old standing side-by-side with Crane, putting her life on the line, killing monsters and all that, which is what we've been saying all season long. Yes. That wasn't going to work. 
but we also didn't want to do some kind of narrative sleight of hand and say, oh, guess what? Molly wasn't really the witness. It was someone else all along. Here's a magic spell and transfer that witness onto someone else. That would have been cheating. So that's how we hit upon the idea of figuring out a way to make Molly become older very quickly, you know? And so the good thing for us being a show about magic and everything is that time travel is not a new concept for the show. Molly Laura is actually a very neat parallel to Crane's own journey. Both witnesses are now people out of time. Very nice. So it very nicely gave us a cap or an endpoint for the whole season, which I thought was wonderful. Yeah, and it opens up so many more questions. Doesn't it, though? And so the next question was, how much will we see of Molly's future timeline? What you're going to see in the first part of 412, and then here's the spoiler, right? So this is next week's episode, takes place entirely in the future world. And you see Molly's story about how she ended up making this jump in the past. And we already had a hint in the episode that it was because of that crane. But now we just gummed up the timeline. (laughs) Butterfly effect. I've always kind of loved when shows go to these dark timelines in the future like Buffy and Dollhouse did. And those are the types of models for when we do it. You'll learn the fates of our characters in the future. I wonder if that means Jane, Jenny and the rest of the team, too. Right. Crane, that's old man Crane that we've already seen in these visions from Dreyfus. That's who he is in the future. Interesting. So we'll see what that means. We'll see where he is and how he got there. Just on a production level, it was really fun kind of putting Tom Meissen into that old man <laughs> Crane makeup. It took four hours to do, but it was really cool. He's remarkable because he actually is Crane, but a different version of Crane. His voice is different. His mannerisms are different. And he really reminded me of like a Count of Monte Cristo character. Well, he would have to be different. He's going to be tortured. He's in in chains. And if you're like that for 20 years, you're in prison. It's going to completely mess with your mind. Yes. But again, he's war. So... What now? Hmm. (laughs) This will be weird. Yes. The next question they said, aside from attempting to stop Dreyfus, how much of the last few episodes is the team trying to avoid the future Molly came from? And Kim uh, responded, I guess it's not too hard to figure out. She's on one of those time travel journeys where she's trying to change the timeline. Yeah, I think we know that now. The future of where she comes from is something we hinted at all along with these visions from Dreyfus. And it's not a pretty picture. She has come back to try and change that in a Marty McFly kind of way. She's trying to alter the timeline so that it doesn't end up like that. But in order to do that, there's a very specific thing to do, and it comes with a whole set of consequences as well in doing it, as changing time always does. There are consequences. So in a lot of ways, it's sort of a typical time traveler journey. Go back in the past, correct the timeline, however, lots of pitfalls along the way, and things go wrong as they always do. See, we don't have enough time. Two episodes is not going to allow you enough time for pitfalls. No, exactly. And then um, what can you preview about Molly and Laura's interactions in the present day? Or is there some kind of timeline voodoo where the two of them kind of interact? It could make things worse. And he laughed and he said, no, there's no timeline voodoo like that. It is something she talks about, but there's some practical reason she doesn't want to interact with the young Molly right away. Of course, Diana has a huge stake in this and her Diana's first instinct after she learns all of this is just to immediately go and get Molly 
but Laura tells her that's not a good idea. But it all comes down in the end to sort of how we sort out this whole status of witnesses by the end of the season. Yeah. So (laughs) if Laura slash adult Molly tells Diana not to go get young Molly, that means let Dreyfus have her so that they can keep down this path of and not have the butterfly effect and not completely screw up the timeline is what I'm thinking here. Very possibly. Yeah, very possibly. We will see. But again, yeah, I'd be like Diana, right? I just found out my child was a witness. I just found my found out my child is going to be brought up by Dreyfus. I want to get my kid and run run. and run. Let me go find a deserted island somewhere. We're out of here. Right. And then uh, the finally here, this last question that we're going to go through. Ichabod sacrificed himself to become war. What can you preview about that arc going forward? Dreyfus's plan all along was turn was to turn Diana into the horseman of war. He wants the witnesses. He wanted to keep Crane. He wanted to keep Molly. He had plans for them. Diana, in his mind, was expendable, so she was going to host the Horsemen of War. But because of what Crane does, it screws up his plans. Not as badly as it screws up our team's plans, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The interesting thing, and we were thinking about this in the room, and I'm assuming that's the writer's room, is we've seen the transformation into war before in seasons one and two with Henry. It was a process that was somewhat familiar to us. It doesn't happen right away because we spent a lot of time talking to Henry's persona as he was inhabiting the armor of war, and there was potentially a way out of that situation. That's what the team is grappling with. Once we knew Crane was going to become the horseman of war, we knew we had to bring back Henry. That's where that story goes. It's all about like father, like son. Henry was the horseman of war and went through that transformation. Crane is now the horseman of war, and he is going through that transformation. The only one who can help him in this regard is Henry. His introduction earlier in the season was kind of a way to basically set all of this up here. We set up the concept of Henry being still around, and now we get to take advantage of that in the last two episodes. It's so cool to have John Noble back. We agree. Everyone loved having him back. We agree. He has some amazing things with Tom Meissen coming up. It was a neat way of bringing a lot of things full circle. So we're in for one heck of a ride. Yes, we are. Wow. Yeah, this is going to be an unbelievable next two episodes. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. All right. If you want to catch up on some of the great Season 1 and Season 2 Stories and Monsters, please pick up a copy of Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Demons and Monsters, the official making of book by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. You will not be disappointed. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of this show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Tell your friends, and we really hope you're enjoying our podcast. This is Steve. You ever get that feeling like someone just walked over your grave? In my case, that may have actually happened twice. And this is Barb signing out and reminding you that during crazy and difficult times, it is all the more reason to savor these moments, our moments of joy. See you next week, sleepyheads.